vulnerability to reaching adulthood. You lose your innocence, and you see the world in a different way. While optimism and pessimism may ebb and flow, you can never see the world through the eyes of a child again. Kids think that monsters all have claws, paws, scales, and tails. Adults know better. We keep kids close, within eyeshot, because we know that in this world, real monsters look just like everyone else. Welcome back to Southern Pride Storytime, and thank you so much for tuning in today. I do apologize in advance if I do sound a little stuffy, as I explained before. I have a couple weeks in the fall where I get some some kind of hay fever going on. It happens every year, so I don't know. It's frustrating. And every year, somebody asks me, are you sure it's not a cold? I'm like, well, it happens to strike within two weeks of itself every single year, so that'd be a pretty regular cold. I mean, I guess even bacteria have to keep their schedule. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, today's uh, subject, as I'm sure you've seen, is Elizabeth Bathory or Elizabeth Bountery, as she is sometimes called. She was born in 1560 to Baron George Bathory and Anna Bathory, both of whom were Bathory's by birth. Now, I've seen some of my research say that her mother and father were first cousins. Some say that they were seventh cousins. And so um, a lot of people kind of blame her madness on interfamily relations. But if they're, if they're seventh cousins, there's really not a genetic precedent for that. As icky and disgusting as that is, that would deter most of us. But from a medical standpoint, that's not likely to be enough to cause this level of crazy. And I'll show you just how crazy in a minute. To some extent, we've all heard her story. She was prone to seizures and loss of control and horrific bouts of rage, even at a very young age. Some scholars, again, believe this is her a product of her family's tendency to intermarry. Think of like the Targaryens, right? Growing up in aristocracy, she saw firsthand how the captains of her father's guard tortured their prisoners. Most famously, she's rumored to have been delighted as she watched a gypsy in her father's court be punished for theft by being sewn into the stomach of a dying horse. Man and beast were both then left to die. It's awful. What did the horse do? She had an uncle who taught her Satanism and an aunt who taught her sadism. But things really began to escalate when, at 15 years old, she married her fiancé, Ferenc, I think, Nidasti, I believe is the pronunciation. I don't know. I'm, I'm not from Hungary, nor, nor am I super familiar with their pronunciation, but I think it's Nidasti, who would later be known as the Black Knight of Hungary for his bold, aggressive acts of heroism while at war with the Turks. I think he was probably the kind of person that could only fit into society during a time of war where brutality was required because by all accounts he was a pretty brutal violent person and while those people tend to do very very well on the battlefield they tend to struggle a little bit when they come home we're not talking about George Washington who was considered a Lancelot he was a demon on the battlefield and a gentleman at the dinner table we're talking about people who are incredibly violent, horrific people all the time. They can't turn it off. And so they have trouble if they, you know, blending in with society if they don't live during a time that Ferenc happened to live in. An incredibly long war. Ferenc was also a sadist and taught Elizabeth next levels of torture. 
The two violent people bonded and fed each other's darker instincts. Together, the two would have several children, but only three, maybe five, would survive past infancy. Again, accounts vary. This all happened 500 years ago, so things uh, things get a little murky, especially where the record-keeping is concerned, as we'll go over later. When her husband passed away due to illness, there was no one left to hide how dark her desires had become. And this is something I found in several versions of the story where a priest tried to put some complaints in about the countess and her treatment of her servants, and Ferenc was always kind of behind her to smooth things over. So while they're both extremely violent people, he seems to at least be aware that people think that's bad. He doesn't seem to be repentant in any sense, but he seems to be the one kind of smoothing things over behind her, whether with finances or with charm, I'm not sure. Either way, once he passed away, there was no one to kind of cover up for her incredible tendency towards violence. And so uh, rumors began to spread that when a young servant girl had combed Elizabeth's hair just a little too aggressively, she turned and struck the girl, and the blood from the girl's you know, wound dripped onto the countess's hand, and she found that the flesh had renewed its life and beauty. This stirred a hunger in her, and it soothed a fear that she had struggled with while her husband was away at war, a fear that he would come home and find her old and undesirable. From here, she began to regularly torment her serving girls and apply their blood to her flesh. She was even rumored to have bathed in it and to have bitten the girls. She would coat the girls in honey and leave them to be consumed by insects. She would strip girls naked in the winter and pour buckets of water over them until they froze to the courtyard floor. She was said to have pressed needles under girls' fingernails, wrapped them in stinging nettles, exposed them to extreme hot and cold baths, and pressed burning hot metal to girls' flesh. She is rumored to have sewn lips shut, beaten girls to death, cut their lips or flesh between their fingers with scissors. Her victims were typically young girls aged 10 to 14. She never worried about being caught. If, you were any, if there was anything her upbringing had shown her, it was that people like her were immune. She was known to keep a ledger on hand of all 650 of her victims. After the death of a noble girl in 1609, however, local nobility decided they needed to look into the situation and see if the brutality was more than just rumors. Bodies were found all over the castle, missing eyes, arms, and other pieces. For those of you thinking that I'm being a little too violent or graphic with this these descriptions of everything going on in the castle, please be aware that I spent a lot of time toning this down. It was, the research says that it was much, much, much worse. I'm trying to make this as gentle as possible. It's just really, really bad. <laughs> um, Elizabeth was investigated, but her servant accomplices took the worst of the punishment for the horrors. While they were tortured and most of them were killed, she was imprisoned in a small room in her castle. The windows and openings were bricked up and sealed, leaving only small gaps for ventilation and food. Four years later, she passed away, but her evil so terrified the community that no one was permitted to say her name for 100 years. She went on to inspire vampire stories like Dracula, 
and when she was buried in the local cemetery, the locals were so outraged that the murderess like her was being buried by them that she was moved to her family vault. When the vault was opened in 1995, she was completely absent from the tomb. But wait, there's more, because that's all just the part of the story that we all know. We all heard, even if we don't know her name, about the blood countess who bathed in the blood of her servant girls to try and stay young and beautiful. But, as always, there are two sides to every story, and there may be a couple question marks that have come up in this case that we all know in recent history. Given the amount of cover-up that surrounded the Countess's fate, there are many newer theories surrounding the Vampire Countess. Some even believe she may have been every bit as innocent as she insisted she was until the end of her life. Upon inspection, we noticed that every person that participated in her investigation stood to benefit from significant financial gains upon her downfall. Everyone from the investigators to the members of the jury all either owed her money or stood within the line of inheritance to receive a lot of money should she pass away or be imprisoned. So, uh, I think that counts as a pretty, uh, biased jury, or jury, right? Um, Let's see. Um, upon her arrest, their debt or would be washed away or they would inherit a lot of money. So, again, clearly there's no bias involved at all, right? As I mentioned, most of the records surrounding her investigation, the trial of her servants, um, basically the entire story, most of the records were destroyed, just burned immediately afterwards. They weren't even pretending to be straightforward about everything. The Countess was never formally brought to trial. Her name was taboo, and in general, it was a pretty massive cover-up that's hard to sort out 450-ish years later. The methods of torture, or sorry, the uh, other thing that makes people uncertain about her guilt is that the methods of torture she was accused of uh, she started a girls' finishing school, and the reasons the methods of torture matter is because many of them were also accepted medical procedures of the day. For example, it was common for women who did a lot of sewing to receive an abs- abscess or blister of some kind under their fingernail, and the treatment for this was to jam a needle into that bad boy and drain, drain off the fluid. Hence, being to- you know, accused of torturing women by stabbing needles into their nails. One of the methods of torture Elizabeth was accused of was stabbing needles into fingernails. She was also accused of pressing metal to people's skin, aka cauterizing wounds, and being consumed by bugs sounds an awful lot like the way that they use maggots to debride wounds, another common treatment at the time. Thank goodness we don't do that as much now. There are still places where they use maggots for debridement, but ew, you know, gross. Part of my crippling fear of parasites is the creepy idea of something eating me, so I don't think I'd do too well with that particular treatment. In a time before modern medicine and antibiotic ointment and good nutrition, death was much more common. The Countess said that at one point, one girl in her finishing school came unhinged and killed several other girls and then herself. If we can blame the Countess's psychosis on her inbreeding, 
Remember that these girls from other noble families would be just as likely to uh, suffer the same condition. So it's not impossible that one out of hundreds and hundreds of girls would that happen to be inbred might be a little unstable. She also blamed a cholera outbreak. Because she had an answer for everything, and given the suspicious lack of a trial or any kind of records, a lot of historians are rethinking what we think about her. Another belief is that nobles were trying to cover up the situation and were motivated by something else entirely. Not money, but politics. There was a lot of friction and unrest among the servant classes about this time, even having been some riots and uprisings. Elizabeth was seen um, in her letters to be very curt and very direct, and that blunt manner of speech tends to offend people. The Countess was known for brutally beating her servants at the slightest offense or mistake, which ruffled the feathers of some of the clergy. She was generally not personally popular, by which I mean people didn't really like her, but everyone wanted to be close to her because of her high rank, her power, and her wealth that was so immense that she kept the whole country financially afloat during the war. So take note of that. The king himself and the country of Hungary owes her massive amounts of money as well. So as nobles began to worry about losing their own servants due to these uprisings, unpopular Elizabeth may have been the one who took the fall so that they could pretend that they, the heroic nobles, were on the side of the everyman. The fact that many of them owed her money would make it all the more comfortable for them to throw her under the passing bus of social tension. And we see a lot of this kind of behavior in our society today, right? All of this makes a, a historical woman with the complexity of a Disney villain into a much more complicated character. Is she innocent? <laughs> I really doubt it. Church burial records show a distinct spike in the deaths of young girls in whichever town or castle she was visiting at the time. She had seven. Her favorite was a wedding gift from her husband. It was perfectly common and even normal to beat your servants within an inch of their lives and beyond. It's back then, servants were not just considered a different class of humanity, but they were considered inhuman themselves. They were considered kind of like cattle at the time. And while these days we're more sensitive about how we treat animals, those days, people and animals of lower classes were treated about the same and it was not good. The Countess was known to shove dismantled bodies off the castle wall or out of a carriage with no assumption she would have any consequences to face. This girl was the baddest beast in Hungary, and if you ever doubted that that she was, she just might dislocate your jaw to prove it. Obedience or pain. However, were the circumstances of her investigation and imprisonment and the follow-up super suspicious? Oh yeah. King Matthias's whole country would have gone bankrupt if it weren't for her, and he's been shown to have issues repaying debt with other creditors in the past. And everything was very stacked against her. Also, pretty convenient that they killed all of the servants that they tortured to turn on her. No loose ends, I guess. Also interesting that she was tried for torture and murder, and in order to get people to testify against her, they had to torture and murder them. Just saying. So who was the real monster? The Countess? Those who set her up for her downfall? The people who kept sending their daughters to the castle where girls were disappearing by the hundreds? Never to return? My answer is yes. All of them. All of these people are terrible. Or were terrible. It's a horrible, horrible situation. Um, 
I don't think anybody was innocent in it, but I don't think anybody was bathing in the blood of innocence either. I think 650 deaths would be quite an exaggeration. I think nobles were expected to keep a ledger of the life, birth, and death of people who lived within their estates, and maybe 650 people had passed away in her properties, but I don't think all of them, you know, in a time of cholera outbreak, no antibiotics, and where medical procedures included wrapping your body in stinging nettles, I doubt that all 650 deaths were murder. I don't doubt that some of them were, though. Uh, She sounds like a pretty nasty piece of work. And I'm sure she was truly a serial killer. I'm just not sure that she would have seen it that way, because again, in her mind, she wasn't killing people. Servants were less than that. This is incorrect, of course, but that's how she would have thought about it. But also, um... You know, like I said, I'm, I'm sure she was a serial killer, but I, I don't think 650. That seems pretty unreasonable, again, with a cholera outbreak and her owning basically seven different cities. Some people are just going to pass away naturally in that kind of population. Again, especially when there's not a lot of good nutrition, the ongoing war against the Turks was resulting in a lot of servants and even lower class nobles having improper food to live off from. So I think a lot of that number of 650 were people who just died because it was the Middle Ages and things were terrible. But I think she definitely killed some of them. So I don't know. It's just funny because the story is a little more murky than I thought and that's kind of what I wanted because part of what makes me intrigued by this particular countess is she's just such an over-the-top villain. I mean, she's basically like Dracula, where it's something that looks human but is not, you know? And so to see that the fact that her entire investigation and everything that happened surrounding this case was not only covered up, but then put under a taboo for a hundred years, so all of the evidence was burned, and then nobody was allowed to talk about or investigate it for a whole century, a lot of stories can change and twist throughout a century. It's basically three different generations of people that, maybe four, that are changing the story as they go, like the telephone game, and this is, I think, just made her villainy, and she was a villain. Make no no mistake about that, but I think the historical telephone game probably just made her into a bigger and bigger and bigger villain than she actually is. She was a monster, but maybe not the monster. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in today. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Really interesting to go over these facts. I'd never, ever, ever heard anybody argue on behalf of Elizabeth Bathory before. I didn't know that was a thing that existed, and it's pretty recent historically. Them kind of looking into maybe there's another side to this story since we don't have much in the way of records anymore. So not only was there a conscious effort for them to, you know, get rid of all record keeping about her case, but also it's been, like I said, almost half half a millennia ago. So that time tends to make things a little more murky too. And so it it was fascinating. Of course, you know, we'll never know for sure, which only makes it more fascinating. But I hope you learned something, and I hope I gave you something to think about. As I said, we can never know for sure how bad she really was. We just know she was bad. And we also now know that the people around her 
weren't great either. So it's hard to say. You're going to have to come to your own conclusion. And uh, I think just about anybody's conclusion is as legitimate as anyone else's just because we don't know anymore. Have a beautiful weekend and I'll talk to you on Friday, I guess. Thank you.